I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Oh, you want to come on down to the range? We'll get up a full head of steam and get rolling down those tracks. We'll be waiting for you. It's high noon for Thursday, June 10th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me occasionally on Gab at I'm your moderator and the merch site is www.cancelcotour.com. Also, if you happen to listen on the Apple Podcasts app, take two minutes and Give the show a five-star rating and drop a little review if you can. That stuff really helps, and it makes me feel oh so nice. Today is the 141st day of Barack Obama's third term, as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You tried to tell everyone that everything you disagree with is completely basis and totally without evidence. But you made one small oversight. And that's that the only thing that constitutes evidence to you is whether or not you saw something on television. It's never going to work, commies. Seriously. It's never going to work. There's not going to be a point where it just all gets better and it all goes away. And everybody says, yeah, commie, you were right. Joe Biden really did get 81 million votes. The coronavirus really was very, very dangerous. Black Lives Matter is not a communist organization. And January 6th was a truly very violent insurrection. But hey, if you already understand all that stuff, maybe you're a redeemable commie. And so welcome to you. And a warm, happy, energetic, high noon Thursday welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. Welcome aboard. We all see you. We know who you are. We can tell. And for all the time you've spent broadcasting exactly who you are, you're probably reaching the point where you may regret it a bit. And that's okay. We've all been there. I certainly have. But those days are over, commie. 
There are no more points to be gained by pretending to support all the very stupid and evil things you support. So your best bet is to start reattaching yourself to reality and trying to understand how you could be so wrong about all of the most important issues that have ever faced you and your country in your lifetime. Because it's not random. It's not a mystery. And it's not an accident. You listened to liars because their lies made you feel good. And look where you are. You still don't feel good. Okay? There's a reason why people on the left are going absolutely insane every day. And all of us are just trying to figure out how to get this thing fixed. We're not the crazy ones, commies. We're not the ones detached from reality. But don't think that we won't welcome you back to America as soon as you decide to immigrate from that communist utopia you imagine is forming around you. It's not. It's never coming. Come back to America. Understand that you got tricked. Understand what you did wrong. Make amends with all of those people you were terrible to. Okay? They're not in a hate movement. That's you guys. They're not the ones who voted for a man whose political mentor was a Klansman. That's you guys. We're not the ones who abandoned our intellectual and moral responsibility for finding truth. That's you guys. You claimed everything was the science. You made a God out of a miniature petty tyrant because he had a D and an R in front of his name. And you liked how he seemed to be in opposition to Donald Trump. And you followed him for 15 months, believing everything he said. And it turns out that he's just a moron and a liar and completely corrupt. And you're still making excuses for him because he's still making excuses for himself. But I want to end with this question. You are now getting attacked. As you know, many state public health officials have quit their jobs over the last year because of the unrelenting attacks that have taken place. And now you're at the focal point. Now, I did not mean to cut at that point. That wasn't my plan. But I can't just let Chuck Todd say that, okay? The public health officials who have quit their jobs around the country have done so because of their own incompetence and corruption. Or they were bearing witness to incompetence and corruption and left because of that. One thing that didn't cause them leaving was unrelenting attacks. I have not read a single headline anywhere about a public health official being attacked. So what Chuck Todd really means is that anytime people disagree with an obviously 
corrupt and anti-scientific public health official and then express that and other people realize it and they make a story out of it because the people are actually really upset with the people, quote unquote, in charge, that that's an attack. So really, there's no way to contest authority under the system that people like Chuck Todd and Anthony Fauci want. And what system do they want? Oh, yeah, it's communism. What is your level of concern that we're going to discredit public health officials to the point of, you know, look at Russia. They actually have a good vaccine and none of their citizens will take it because they don't trust their own government. Discrediting public health officials who are working in direct opposition to the science, to all common sense and to the benefit of the people they are in that job to serve is one of the best things we can be doing. Seriously, there are few things that would help this problem more than absolutely discrediting every fraud and sociopath in the public health community. And we start, of course, with Anthony Fauci. And as for Russia and Russians not wanting to take the vaccine, even though it's a very good vaccine, probably has more to do with the fact that they weren't subjected to the same level of public health idiocy that America has been subjected to for the last 18 months. Perhaps they realize the reality that most of them aren't under any threat of dying from the coronavirus. Therefore, no vaccine is necessary. Right. It's very dangerous, Chuck, because a lot of what you're seeing as attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. Because all of the things that I have spoken about consistently from the very beginning have been fundamentally based on science. Sometimes those things were inconvenient truths for people and there was pushback against me. So if you are trying to you know, get at me as a public health official and a scientist, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. He blinded me with science again. Just kidding. I'm not a commie. That excuse doesn't work on anyone anymore. New polling came out today suggesting that up to 70% of Americans now believe that it is either true or likely true that the virus originated at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. That 70% of the people who are having regular thoughts about how Anthony Fauci has lied. And Anthony Fauci has lied. Anyone who doesn't believe that or understand that is either not looking the dumbest person on earth or lying. Okay. There's no other option. There's no option where a fully informed, intelligent person is telling the truth while defending Anthony Fauci. Those days are long past. But of course, that's not going to work for Anthony Fauci. So instead, 
Now, anyone who disagrees with Anthony Fauci, even if that disagreement is based on things he has said in public that are on video relative to other things he said in public on video and his emails, what they're doing is attacking science. And since I know that's one of those no-no places that we're not allowed to go, maybe it's time that we all just admit that the institution of quote-unquote science as it stands now deserves to be attacked and destroyed, okay? That is not the same as attacking science. The scientific method and science itself are two of the most important things in human existence. The science and the scientists and the institution of science, those things should be challenged absolutely all the time with no excuses made going forward forever. Because we see what happens when we let a bunch of little bureaucratic dorks with power like Anthony Fauci make all the decisions. I have to say, though, I am impressed at the balls on this little evil Nazi doctor to even attempt what he is doing <laughs> to just tell everybody that going after Anthony Fauci for his obvious crime and corruption is somehow an attack on science that takes cojones. And anybody that looks at what's going on clearly sees that you have to be asleep not to see that. That is what's going on. Science and the truth are being attacked. Yeah, you've got to be asleep not to see that science and truth are being attacked whenever you talk about Anthony Fauci's very real emails that show him talking about how masks don't work, how asymptomatic spread isn't really a thing, about gain of function, about how the virus was likely manipulated in a lab. Oh, he just ignored that. No problem. You've got to be asleep. Anyone who's out there just like looking for facts and evidence and then forming hypotheses and then testing those hypotheses against the facts and the evidence and finding out if their hypotheses are true and then using that as a working theory until other evidence comes along, those people are definitely, definitely attacking science. In fact, I bet none of them even know what the scientific method is. Oh, wait, I just described it? Well, that's crazy. I was using the scientific method to determine that Anthony Fauci was a liar and the fact that my working theory that Anthony Fauci is a liar and a fraud is actually predictive of future Anthony Fauci behavior on an almost constant level. Man, I am attacking science. Okay, changing subjects without a segue. I want to go back to what I was talking about yesterday in the second half of the show where I was giving my thoughts about what might happen when the Arizona audit wraps up the hand count stage of the audit on Monday. And 
if you didn't hear the episode, my general theory was premised on the idea that at the end of the hand count, they are going to have conclusively one major critical piece of evidence, and that is whether or not the number of physical ballots on hand equals the number of recorded votes for Maricopa County. And I actually finished my episode earlier than I usually do yesterday, which is why it was actually up on time. I always, by the way, just defending myself slightly because I'm a bit insecure about it. I always, almost always start recording two or more hours before high noon on the West Coast, which is when I ideally try to get the show out. Sometimes it just takes a really long time. Now that the episodes are longer and I'm not just blazing straight through. But yesterday I was so excited. I was like, got this thing done. 45 minutes to spare. I'm going to put this up, schedule it to go right at high noon West Coast. And we'll be good. And then not 10 minutes later, after I pre-posted the episode, we get news out of Georgia via Vernon Jones, who's out there visiting the audit. And via OAN and some other sources reporting it that they expect the number of hand counted ballots on hand to be substantially less than the 2.1 million votes that were recorded in Maricopa County, which means right away, immediately and unquestionably, they know that the election was stolen. Okay. Again, this is one of those things that is a little difficult to imagine and kind of manage in your mind because it's not all locked in, right? We can't say, oh, yeah, I definitely know that's true. And the Arizona audit has been very methodical with that stuff and trying not to release any sort of critical information that may make people doubt their results or doubt the integrity of the audit. And that's great. But at the same time, pieces of information about the audit have nonetheless gotten out there. And this is as big a piece of information as you can get. This is the sort of thing that we might expect to have to wait until the report comes out in maybe mid to late July before we would know something so damning. But that doesn't seem like how this is going to go down. And when I saw that 10 minutes after I finished putting the show up yesterday, I was like, oh, well, I guess that clears out <laughs> about five or 10 minutes of the argument I was making because the argument I was making hinged on the fact that we would very likely find substantially fewer votes in Maricopa County than what they recorded. And I suggested maybe that's 1.9 million. Maybe it's 2 million. Could be 1.8 million. Again, I believe the number Seth Keschel quoted the other day was that the Democrats had created 300,000 new votes over what Hillary Clinton achieved in 2016. Joe Biden actually got 
500,000 more votes in Arizona than Hillary Clinton did in 2016. So 300,000 in Maricopa County, totally plausible. Donald Trump increased his vote total in Maricopa County as well. And the population of Maricopa County did not increase by an amount that would suggest these mammoth new vote totals were even possible. So when I look at these numbers, it seems entirely plausible that 200,000 or 300,000 of the votes in Maricopa County were simply invented out of thin air. And if we find something between 1.8 and 2 million actual physical ballots, there's Joe Biden's win. It's not hard to see. So what happens at that point? If this piece of information gets out, this one small piece of information that has now already been reported on, what happens if that gets out there? Everything has to begin, right? You can't just have that statement out there and then not start pursuing the people who were directly involved in that massive result-changing fraud. It's also interesting when you look through Maricopa County results, Arizona results, you see that the Maricopa County attorney who was elected was a Republican with 51% of the vote. And then you look at the sheriff and the sheriff is a Democrat who wins 56 to 44%. So an even bigger margin than Joe Biden got over Donald Trump. The sheriff there is a Soros guy. The sheriff there is helping to run interference on the Arizona audit. So that looks to me an awful lot like Paul Penzone himself is going to have a whole lot to answer for very soon. Now, a bit of a corollary to the theory I laid out yesterday is that when this piece of information comes out, when this becomes broadly known, what do communists in other states begin doing, right? There are going to be people around the country who have probably been on pins and needles for the last seven months, knowing that they were intimately involved with defrauding the nation's election. They were probably told by the people paying them or compromising them that they just had to do this one little thing. And it wasn't a big deal. And everybody knows we have to get rid of Trump. And like, this is going to work out really well for you. Just suck it up. A couple weeks, it'll all be over. You go on with life. No big deal. How many people around the country were presented that option and then proceeded to help cheat in the 2020 election? I'm guessing it's thousands, if not tens of thousands. And I can't imagine all of those people are going to want to go to prison for their entire lives. So when you see a discrepancy like 100,000 or 200,000 or 300,000 votes, physical votes that simply do not exist, but were nonetheless introduced into the vote total that was certified by Arizona officials and then the Congress of the United States. What do you do? You know 
that a major piece of election fraud is already caught dead to rights in Arizona. And you're sitting there in Michigan or Pennsylvania or Georgia or California or Minnesota or Alaska or Washington or Texas or Florida. Fraud everywhere. And people know what they've done, right? Are you going to stand up and be a whistleblower and try to save yourself? Or do you still have some commie in your ear telling you that we're going to ride this out? Don't worry, we're going to ride it out. Yeah, it's been seven months, and I understand the country all believes that the election was a fraud now. But hey, we're going to ride this out. Don't worry, we have our best lawyers on it, and they're going to shut it down. And if they don't shut it down, then the Department of Justice will shut it down. Or at the very least, we'll have the Board of Supervisors not comply. And hey, we've got the governor, we've got the attorney general, we've got the secretary of state on our side. We've got all these people that are going to sign affidavits saying nothing went wrong. But none of that worked in Arizona. So what's your sales pitch to these people now, commies? What are you going to tell them? Hey, we've got it under control. You don't have it under control. People are going to go to prison for the rest of their lives. When this is all said and done, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw public executions. This is the biggest political crime in the history of the world, and it came on the heels of multiple other biggest crimes in the history of the world. And I'm talking about the Russian collusion stuff, two impeachments, COVID, Black Lives Matter, January 6th. All of these things are complete and total frauds. And they were all aiming at the same goal, which was tearing away the fabric of the United States so that it can be subsumed by global communism. What does the country do and say when Maricopa County, that everyone already knew was a fraud, from the moment Fox News called Arizona when the polls closed on election night, everyone knew something was wrong with Arizona. So now we find out 100,000, 200,000. Listen, maybe it's 50,000 fewer ballots, okay? I'm not intentionally trying to go overboard here. But you got to think it goes well beyond eclipsing the minute 10,000 vote margin that they're pretending Joe Biden won by. And depending on the size of that number, Trump could actually have a big sweeping win out of Arizona. And again, this is just on the hand count. They haven't even gone into the other parts of the audit. Now, I don't know how I would react if I was one of these people in these other states who had actively participated in election fraud and have now just been gnawing away at my fingernails for seven months. I actually couldn't imagine participating in a crime of that magnitude. But you got to think with the level of insane self-interest these people have already displayed by involving themselves in election fraud in the first place, they might well be willing or interested in, I should say, to go try to carve out a deal, to try to save their own ass somehow. 
and hopefully they will not get any deals and they should be reporting on what happened actually through some sense of wanting to make moral amends for this great wrong they have participated in causing. All right. This is not just simply a crime that is a misdemeanor or a felony, right? This isn't something someone did that they need to just go through the justice system for. They took it upon themselves to participate in a scheme that robbed the American people of their sacred right to vote. All right. This is what voter suppression actually is. It's got nothing to do with the two black grandmothers in the country somewhere who don't have an ID. And by the way, there's probably just as many white grandmothers who don't have their IDs too. That's not what voter suppression is. Voter suppression is systematically robbing people of their sacred right to vote. And that's exactly what happened on November 3rd. And the sickest part of that, which I've mentioned before, is that after the machine evidence comes out and people start to have to contend with that, something they should actually realize is that those algorithms specifically intend to give specific voters three quarters of a vote or four fifths of a vote or maybe even three fifths of a vote. And what does that sound like? So, again, I don't know if something is going to be coming at the beginning of next week, but there's certainly a chance that it might, and I'm going to have my eyes open for it, and I'm going to expect the best, because I always expect the best, and sooner or later, that expectation is going to pay off. Didn't pay off so well in January, gotta say, but it's still coming. It's still coming. Now. The enfeebled usurper of the free world flew to the United Kingdom for the G7 summit, which he is ostensibly participating in, and he plans to give Putin a very stern talking to. <laughs> Could you imagine Joe Biden trying to have a conversation with Vladimir Putin? That would be like me having a conversation with all the commie Hollywood actors. Like, put us up on a debate stage. Like, let me sit there with any of them. And by the way, I'm going to invite these people on my show after this all gets wrapped up. You know, the whole election fraud thing. I'm going to say, hey, commie, do you still want to have a future in your acting business? Maybe you should come on my show and try to tell America how you were so wrong about such basic things and how you then took your incorrect and prejudicial assumptions, applied them to more than half the country, and then called them all racists and sexists and terrorists and rapists and sexual harassers. Come on the show. Sophia Bush, I'm going to invite her first out of anybody. And she can tell everybody what she meant when she was tweeting out that Trump supporters are domestic terrorists. I would love to have that conversation, but that would be like Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin having a discussion. Joe Biden is a brain dead moron. 
with dementia. Vladimir Putin is a cold-blooded killer who knows things. There is no way those two men are standing on equal ground in any conversation they might have. And yeah, it sucks that the commies stole an election and tried to put the enfeebled usurper into that position, which is putting America in such a dramatic and dangerous position of weakness with our foreign adversaries. But it is nonetheless true that Joe Biden is not mentally, physically, or even morally capable of standing up to Vladimir Putin because Joe Biden is an evil old racist creep with dementia who never really knew anything in the first place and has made a career out of selling his public office for personal benefit. And just an aside, if you haven't seen Leo Terrell on Sean Hannity from two nights ago, I think it's Tuesday, June 8th, that the episode would have been on. Leo Terrell goes off on Joe Biden, basically saying he wasn't just mentored by a Klansman. This is an actual Klansman like behind the scenes, undercover Klansmen, and that this is how the Klan has been trying to achieve power for the last six decades, let's say. Now, it would be good to have some hard evidence to back that up, but the circumstantial evidence certainly does. There is no evidence anywhere in history that Joe Biden has actually been concerned about the interests of minority populations in the United States. In fact, it's been directly the opposite. And every bit of evidence about this man indicates exactly what I just said. But anyway, this perverted old idiot shows up in the UK and stages a speech for himself that has all the physical makings of a Trump rally. He even had a plane parked alongside the rally so that all the shots before the speeches actually started featured the plane in the background, just like Trump. Except it wasn't Air Force One. But the enfeebled usurper of the free world goes in and behind the podium are a bunch of soldiers and their families, and they're all in masks. And of course, Joe Biden has President Jill Biden speak first, and he stands behind her for the entire speech, just creepily peering over her shoulder, and he's masked. Joe Biden is fully vaxxed, and wearing a mask in an airplane hangar whose door is open to the outside. Like the big door, the garage door for the airplane hangar, the hangar door. <laughs> What's a hangar door called? Just a hangar door? Maybe. But Biden starts giving his speech. And keep in mind, this is the first time Joe Biden has spoken 
in front of a full room since COVID. He hasn't spoke in front of virtually anyone. His little car rallies are all subdued and easily forgotten about. It's just a bunch of car horns, not people actually cheering for their future president that they really totally support. Like 17 people in cars honking their horns. That's a normal Joe Biden speech. So he goes there, gets the military and their families to all come to this thing and wear masks. And now he has a captive audience. So he proceeds to list all of the different Air Force units that were present in the venue. And as he did that, each one got rousing cheers, which is the first time Joe Biden has heard rousing cheers. <laughs> so congratulations, Joe. You finally got a chance to look like president. And all you had to do was get military personnel and their families to show up for the thing they had to show up for in masks, just desperately chasing legitimacy. And then in Joe Biden's speech, he actually says, yeah, sometimes I forget I'm even president. Hey, Joe, it's because you're not president. <laughs> then he goes on to talk about how the Joint Chiefs told him that the number one threat to American security is climate change. And I know there are people out there who think, oh, yeah, that's definitely true. Well, first of all, it's not true. But second of all, two months ago, Joe Biden told us that the greatest threat to American security was white supremacists. <laughs> so which one is it, Joe? Which one of the Democrat pet policies that they're trying to promote this week is the real true threat to American security? Is it white supremacists? Is it climate change? Is it voter suppression, Joe? The greatest threat to American security is having a fake president pretending to lead the country, period. And somehow this charade with Joe Biden actually wasn't the worst part of the Biden's trip to the UK yesterday. Jill Biden posted a photo of her at a desk studying what looks like it might be the presidential daily briefing. And she tweeted this out herself, captioning the tweet, prepping for the G7. Hey, Jill, you're the first lady. And not only that, your husband is not even a real president. What are you doing prepping for the G7? You have no role whatsoever. No one in the world elected Dr. Jill Biden, who, by the way, is not a real doctor by any stretch of the imagination. She wrote a bad paper about community colleges and they made her a doctor because now they just give out PhDs for anything someone might make up in college. And while community college is certainly a valuable part 
of an education for many, many people. You probably don't need a doctorate to try to run one or figure out what's wrong with one. So why in the world are they giving out degrees to people who pretend to do that in college? There shouldn't be a doctorate for the thing Jill Biden is a doctor in. And thinking about those public health experts that resigned last year because of the relentless attacks, most of them don't even have doctorate degrees. And they're setting public health policy. Among all the words whose definitions have been systematically destroyed by the communists, none is sillier than the word doctor at this point. And one last thing about Joe's speech. The entire speech was mostly just ass-kissing the soldiers that were around him and then some random muttered comments. But in the midst of it all, Joe Biden was announcing this new plan that they have to vaccinate the world. And he's talking about it today as well. But right now they're going to spend another half a billion dollars buying vaccines from the vaccine makers so that they can deliver them to other parts of the world that quote unquote need vaccines. But the parts of the world that quote unquote need vaccines are not just falling over in the streets. They're not just dying left and right. In fact, more and more parts of the world are discovering and implementing hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, among other things, as treatments for the coronavirus. So not only do they not need vaccines, they don't even really want vaccines. And there actually have been reports about vaccine hesitancy in parts of Africa, for instance. They have the vaccines. No one wants to go get it. Why? Because they don't trust it and they don't need it. And that's a fully rational and reasonable way to make that decision. Hey, don't inject me with that thing because I don't trust you. I don't trust that thing and I don't need it. Cut and dry. But we still have to spend a half a billion dollars more than we already are to supply vaccines to other parts of the world. And this makes sense to the commies because they have fully embraced the idea that if anyone is sick, everyone is sick. Because that one person might get another person sick and that person might get two people sick and all of a sudden you've killed my grandmother. And of course, that idea is completely ridiculous, which is why only tiny child-sized commie brains are able to hold that without also holding something else that's like, oh yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> what it sounds like is that the vaccine rollout isn't going as planned and that people actually aren't scared of the coronavirus and don't want the vaccine. Therefore, the pharma companies are not getting what they expected out of the deal. So Joe Biden has to go ahead 
and take some American taxpayer money and give it to the pharma companies so that they're not disappointed in him. But enough about the enfeebled usurper of the free world. Let's talk about the media. A couple days ago on the info stream, t.me slash I'm your moderator, I posted an article from Breitbart. This is Tuesday, June 8th. Explained, breaking the news reveals tricks the media use to contort every story to fit their agenda. And this is something I have talked about relentlessly on this podcast for as long as I've been doing it. But this is just an incredible layout of what's really going on, the exact mechanics. And I think Alex Marlowe did a great job in really getting to the root of all of this. And this write-up is by Hannah Blau? Blue? I don't know. Breitbart News Editor-in-Chief Alex Marlowe's Breaking the News, Exposing the Establishment Media's Hidden Deals and Secret Corruption, details the tricks the media use to contort every story to fit their fixed agenda, also known as the rules to properly decipher the New York Times. Establishment media outlets require something akin to a secret decoder ring, Marlowe observes in his best-selling blockbuster, which recently landed on the New York Times, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, and Publishers Weekly bestseller lists. What is written on the page or spoken in a broadcast is not always literal and can only be fully understood if you know how to break the code, he writes, providing key examples and hacks or a cheat sheet of how people can better understand how the establishment media operates and covers the news. The first tip, anything that can be politicized will be politicized. Any reporting on subjects that cannot be politicized, which Marlowe notes is a smaller percentage of the paper in modern times, is typically far more credible. And that obviously makes sense. Straight up news stories about, say, a local event are much more reliable than their headline news, where you know they're trying to drive narrative for the day or for a week. Outlets such as the New York Times are largely driven by promoting good narratives while burying bad narratives. Good news for a preferred narrative, Marlowe explains, usually appears on the front page of the paper, while bad news, i.e. news that does not advance the left's desired narrative, is deep within the paper. In some cases, the outlet refuses to cover the bad news at all. Similarly, good news on an undesirable narrative also appears deep within the paper, or the outlet fails to cover it at all. Bad news about an undesirable narrative is to be treated the same as good news for a preferred narrative, Marlowe notes. Got that? So a negative story about Donald Trump is viewed as having the same value as a good story about fake President Joe Biden. But this practice of promoting good narratives and burying bad ones goes far beyond story placement. There is a method in the articles themselves as breaking the news reveals. And here are a bunch of bullet points. Within a given article, information that contains the paper's preferred narrative is to be featured at the top of the article, ideally in the first sentence. Within a given article, information that rebuts a preferred narrative or confirms an undesirable narrative is to appear deep in the article or not at all. And I've noted that a bunch of times when I'm going through articles on here. The truth always lies somewhere close to the bottom if it's in there at all. 
An article's hero should be anyone who advances the causes of globalism, wokeness, skepticism of America and its values, and or political leftism. Additional unofficial hero points are added or subtracted based on the hero's race, sex, and sexual orientation, and or socioeconomic status. An article's villain is typically anyone in the article who advances the causes of nationalism, conservatism, or traditional American values. A villain can also be someone who is insufficiently outraged at those who do not embrace modern woke leftism. When someone is a villain, their race, sex, sexual orientation, and or socioeconomic status are mostly irrelevant unless they can be used to portray the villain in an even more unfavorable light. Heroes need not be actual heroes. They can simply be victims. Heroes get glamorous hero shot photographs when possible. Villains get unflattering photographs or none at all. Errors are acceptable so long as they do not hurt the cause of globalism or modern woke leftism. Errors that portray a preferred narrative negatively or an unfavorable narrative positively are never to be made, ever. Corrections are to be published discreetly, deep within the paper, if at all. And that's true. Now they just go back and change old articles. So you can't even go find out what they said, at least not easily. The Wayback Machine still exists, and people use these things, and they find it eventually. But this is just Orwellian memory-holing here. Interestingly, Marlowe notes that public acknowledgement of corrections or updates is not an intrinsically ethical decision. Rather, it is a strategic business decision, with outlets only drawing attention to their mistakes if it benefits the publication. If posting an update or correction mitigates further reputational damage from the mistake or it enhances the paper's brand, acknowledge the update, he observes. Within the articles themselves, the New York Times makes a point to highlight the worst moments of their featured villain in their stories, which happened to be President Trump and his allies over the last four years. Even if the negative attributes do not furnish a fair representation of their life and works. These negative attributes commonly include perceived sexism, racism, bigotry, or corruption in their past. Even if these claims have been discredited, they must be mentioned. And this is one of those really pernicious things you see happening so much, right? They'll still play clips of Donald Trump's speech about Charlottesville, where they're pretending he actually said the both sides lie that they always tell. Or they will say things like, a man who has been accused of sexual harassment by 13 women. And of course, I'm talking about Andrew Cuomo. They basically pollute the conversation and then try to skew the viewer or reader's mind by reminding them that they think the person is guilty, whether or not they actually are. The New York Times does the opposite for its perceived heroes, failing to mention their negative attributes while promoting their best ones, even if it does not furnish a fair representation of their life and works. Unlike the story's villain, articles highlighting the, the story's hero must not mention any past instances of racism, sexism, bigotry, or corruption, Marlowe writes. And strangely, Joe Biden fits every single one of those. Racism? Yup. Sexism? Yup, the papers didn't even bother investigating the Tara Reid claims. Bigotry, obviously, and corruption, yes, all over the place. Do they ever mention it? No. If they were writing about 
Joe Biden, the way they wrote about Donald Trump, every single article would say Joe Biden, whose son is credibly accused of corruption, selling his father's political office and possessing compromising pictures of underage girls on his laptop. It would say that all the time, like the same way that they always write QAnon, a group of crazy conspiracy theorists who believe in satanic blood rituals and that Hillary Clinton eats children. They'll say all that in every article to make people think like, ah, yeah, that's crazy. I guess we could just ignore that. Those guys are all silly. They got no points. They don't know anything. (laughs) It's always amazing to me when people who actually don't know anything and can't talk about anything believe that they know so much or they believe that they can describe others as knowing absolutely nothing while at the same time having very passionately held opinions about the subjects they admittedly know nothing about and they will admit it like if you start bringing up facts to them they'll be like all right well listen this is not like one of my big priorities that i follow closely well no shit commie the only priority you follow closely is how many likes you're getting on instagram and so i was checking out some news this morning and came across a very relevant article to everything we've been talking about. I've discussed it before. This is about the situation in Myanmar. And this article from CNN displays absolutely all of the characteristics we just talked about. So the headline is Myanmar military junta charges Aung San Suu Kyi with corruption. This is by Helen Regan and Sophie Jong from today, June 10th. Myanmar's deposed civilian leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, has been charged with corruption by the country's military junta. State media reported Thursday, according to a raft of legal cases against the Nobel Peace Prize laureate. Got that? So that's a whole lot of setup in that one headline. So. She was the civilian leader who was deposed in a military junta, even though she is a Nobel Peace Prize laureate. So now we know who the hero is, and we know the hero is also a victim, and we can also see who the villain is, which is the military. The new charge follows an investigation by the Anti-Corruption Commission into several accusations leveled at Suu Kyi. It found her guilty of committing corruption using her rank, the state-run Global New Light of Myanmar said. She was charged under the Anti-Corruption Law, Section 55, and if found guilty could face a maximum prison sentence of 15 years. Suu Kyi was overthrown from her position of state counselor and de facto leader of the country when the military seized power in a February 1st coup, right? So she was the legitimate leader of the country. The military staged a coup to take her out. She has been held in detention since then and charged with a series of crimes her lawyers and supporters consider to be politically motivated. Now, even that sentence is bananas, okay? She has been held in detention since then. Correct. She's being held in detention as the kingpin, let's say, 
queen pin of a vast election fraud scheme that would place her as the leader of the country. That's what she's being held for. She's charged with a series of crimes. But you should know, CNN reader, that her lawyers and her supporters think these charges are politically motivated, which means you shouldn't believe them. The commission said Suki misused her authority in renting land and a building to open the Dawkin Key Foundation headquarters, where she served as chairperson. It said an application for the land to establish a horticulture vocational school as part of the foundation in the capital. I'm going to just mess this up. Naypyidaw? I'm going to... Come on, man. Don't make me say that. It's just going to sound like I'm being disrespectful. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, Myanmar. So it's a foundation in the capital, let's say, was not carried out in line with the procedures, but with her power and authority. So you got that. It's just these couple little problems about some land she rented and a building. And she wanted to start a vocational school. And that's what people are mad at her for, really. It's not any big crime. I mean, she's a Nobel Peace Prize laureate. How could she possibly be guilty of real crimes? These are obviously just drummed up charges. Got it, Kami? So, again, remember who the hero of this story is. It's the one who's under arrest. But wait a second. That foundation was started... After Sue Key became part of the George Soros project and the bank accounts of the Open Societies Foundation in Myanmar were actually seized. So maybe she wasn't just trying to start a nice foundation and a nice vocational school. Maybe there actually is a crime in there. And maybe, just maybe, George Soros was involved in funding the BLM Antifa counterparts in Myanmar who were rioting in the wake of Suu Kyi's removal. It's strange that CNN didn't go into that. It seemed like that paragraph was the perfect opportunity. The commission also said Suu Kyi illegally accepted $600,000 in cash as well as gold while in office. The accusation comes from an earlier complaint in March from a former Yangon regional minister. Oh, well, I guess it, this is an old thing. I guess it's probably not true. Oh, wait, she did take all that money and gold while in office? Well, that's weird. Is she allowed to do that? No. So she might have actually committed crimes. I don't understand. I was told that this was a coup and that she was a Nobel Peace Prize laureate. Suki's lawyer, Kin Mong Zaw, hope I'm saying him right, called the cases of bribery and corruption absurd and groundless. My, my, my. That sounds exactly like the sort of thing that Katie Hobbs says and that Brad Raffensperger says and that Rachel Maddow says. And we know when they're saying it, they're always telling the truth. Everyone's claims are absurd. Man, I wonder how absurd the claim that there are 200,000 missing ballots in Maricopa County will be. I wonder if there's evidence for that or if it's just baseless. 
And here we go with some major hero worship. I've never met any statesman more honest and incorruptible as Da Ong San Suu Kyi. She might have defects, but personal greed and corruption is not in her traits. Those who accuse her with greed and corruption are spitting towards the sky, he said. Well, that was extremely poetic. Three other former officials were also charged with corruption, the Global New Light said. The case files were opened against them at police stations on Wednesday, the paper added. Suki has been charged with a series of crimes that include illegal possession of walkie-talkies and violating coronavirus restrictions during election campaigning last year. Her trial for these charges starts June 14th and is expected to wrap up by July 26th, according to her legal team. Oh, oh yeah, so yeah, she didn't, she probably didn't do anything. She just had some walkie-talkies and she like went outside without a mask. That's probably all it is. Thank goodness CNN didn't describe those claims further. Now, wait a second. There are other articles about this stuff. This one's from the BBC, who are definitely globalist and commie, but not as bad as CNN. In this article, it says Miss Sue Key is a, accused of accepting cash and gold in bribes and faces up to 15 years in jail if found guilty. She faces six other charges relating to alleged illegal imports of walkie-talkies. Well, that's weird. I was told she was just possessing them and inciting public unrest, which is, in fact, what she did. And it also says here that she's been under house arrest and little has been seen or heard from her apart from brief court appearances. Man, that's so strange. This CNN article, it makes it sound like she's been like in solitary confinement or something. Gosh, this is weird. I mean, they wouldn't just lie to us, would they? Separately, Sue Kee is accused of violating the Official Secrets Act and if found guilty, faces a maximum of 14 years in prison. Oh, the Official Secrets Act. That sounds more severe than her problems with renting a building for her foundation and possessing walkie-talkies. That's weird. It's strange that they didn't say this up closer to the top of the article and instead had me read all those nonsense things first and then put a huge picture in between that first part up top and this part down at the bottom. The military, led by General Min Ong Hlaing, hopefully, seized power after claiming widespread voter fraud during the November 2020 election, which saw Sue Kyi's National League for Democracy Party win a landslide in a second term in government. The previous election commission denied any voting discrepancies had taken place. Oh, man. Got it. So the military detained her because of widespread voter fraud and she's intertwined intimately with George Soros and the cause of global communism, but she's being held over illegally possessing walkie talkies and some typo on her lease. Probably how many of CNN's regular readers would you guess make it this far down in an article 
or even really think about the things the article says. I'm guessing it's roughly zero. I'm guessing that the number of CNN readers who do that is smaller than the number of missing ballots in Maricopa County. Going out on a limb. The four months since the coup (laughs) has been marked with widespread bloodshed and violence as the junta cracked down on nationwide pro-democracy protests, a prolonged civil disobedience movement, and more recently, the emergence of people's resistance fighters who are taking up arms against junta forces. If you want a prediction about how they're going to cover things in America in a couple of months. Here we go. Widespread bloodshed and violence as the junta cracked down. Got it? So it's not that George Soros's band of communist BLM Antifa style domestic terrorists were increasing their domestic terrorism and then dealt with appropriately. It's that the military junta went out and started causing all the violence by disrupting mostly peaceful protesters. Pro-democracy protests at that. All of these people are just trying to protect democracy, just like Katie Hobbs, just like Brad Raffensperger just like all the commies in Congress who are trying to pass H.R. 1. They're just trying to protect democracy. They're not trying to make sure that a fraudulent election is upheld with their preferred candidate taking office. And now they have people's resistance fighters, which are armed, and they're taking on the military there. That sounds an awful lot like George Soros is trying to spark a civil war in Myanmar so that no one actually finds out about the election fraud schemes these communist globalists have been running across the entire world. More than 850 people have been killed by junta-led security forces and 5,941 have been arrested since the coup, according to advocacy group Assistance Association for Political Prisoners. Among them are protesters, activists, journalists, celebrities, government officials, as well as children and bystanders. Got that? CNN readers, take note of the sorts of people that got detained in this situation. I wonder why celebrities would be detained. I wonder if it was because they were involved With the rigging of the election. Huh. I wonder if celebrities have intimate contacts with the politicians there, just like they have them with the politicians here. Isn't that strange to think about? What a weird parallel. And oh, wait, what's this? The advocacy group that is reporting on the crimes of the military junta that staged the very violent coup. The advocacy group is called the Assistance Association for Political Prisoners. And you see, if you go on to OpenSocietyFoundations.org, which is the website of George Soros's Open Societies Foundation, you can see a publication called Eight Seconds of Silence, The Death of Democracy Activists Behind Bars. 
And right here in the first sentence, it says the Assistance Association for Political Prisoners, a long term OSI grantee based in Asia, has published a crucial report. And then it goes on and on and on. But right there, we have a Soros candidate stealing an election accused of corruption and taking bribes from Soros for her foundation. And then you are getting the reporting about what is happening to the Soros funded protesters, which are really just anarchists, domestic terrorists and violent communists from another organization that George Soros funds. Got that? How many times was George Soros mentioned in that article? How many times? Zero. So what we have here is a perfect blueprint for what George Soros does to countries and what global communism does to countries. And by the way, Sue Kyi is good buddies with Barack and Hillary. And they're all on her side, which is why the media is all on her side. And why are they on her side? Has it been their life's work? To have a free and open democratic republic in Myanmar? No, of course not. They care about this because George Soros cares about this. They are all aligned on everything. Okay? Myanmar is a preview and it should be taken that way. Hopefully, our military will not have to face violent protests, and hopefully the military won't have to be involved. That will be ideal. It would be wonderful if the Democrats do not try to start a civil war after the election fraud is exposed. That is what we can all hope, and we have to hope that the military is preparing for that eventuality. But what we just read is an article that is 100% about Political corruption initiated and directed by George Soros and global communists. And the article only tries to describe Sue Kyi as a political prisoner who is being treated wrongly after a military coup has taken away her legitimate leadership of her country. That is what we are given by our mainstream media. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. These people lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. 
I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate, or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!